Welcome to Motherhood Designed, a podcast about balancing all aspects of life as a mother. Join me, Gabriella Dokus, each week as I sit down with a different guest to discuss how they've designed their own version of motherhood. In this episode, I sit down with Morgan Hutchinson, the founder of Buru, a fashion line designed with mothers and motherhood in mind. All of Buru's pieces are machine washable, versatile to style, and priced attainably so that moms in all stages of life can look and feel their best. Morgan is a mom of three who currently lives in LA, but whose life and career has found her across the globe in cities like New York and Beijing. Our conversation covered everything from her career as a fashion entrepreneur, to the challenges of nursing clothes, to the pressures of being a perfect mom, to how she's maintained her unique style in motherhood. This is truly a packed episode, and I know so many moms will love hearing about her experiences and advice. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Morgan Hutchinson, the founder of Shop Buru. Morgan, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I love... Um all your guests to date and your conversation. So I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to have you. Um, I found Buru a couple years ago, I think through Megan Stokes. Um, I have th- one of the yes. dresses from her collaboration and I love it. I still wear it. I'm a big dress girl. So I'm excited to finally make the connection and be talking to you in person. Absolutely. And we love Megan and we obviously love dresses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So match made in heaven. Let's start with a little bit of a personal introduction. So where you live, how long you've been married, and how many kids you have in their ages. Absolutely. We live in Los Angeles. Um, We've been here for a little over five years. My husband and I met in New York, though, and we've been married almost, it'll be 12 years in March. We have three children, ages two, six, and 10. The youngest are two boys, um, the two and six-year-old are boys, and then Olive B is our 10-year-old so, girl. Let's go back to the very beginning a little bit. Um, what were the early years of your career like? Because you now own your own company, so you're ahead of that in addition to having your children, but how did you get there? So what were the early years of your career like, and how did that line up with your personal life? Um, I think as I reflect back on my career, it's um, pretty clear. I have always been, I'm a little bit of a serial entrepreneur, though I did major in interior design and work sort of in the corporate world for maybe about a year and a half. I realized early on I should have just majored in fashion design. I think I chose interior design. It felt safer. I grew up in a really small town in Kentucky and knew interior designers, did not know any fashion designers. So that felt safer and um, just more comfortable. But so in my early 20s, I moved to New York and actually uh, started a lingerie business with my two best friends who are identical twins and grew up across the street from me in Kentucky. And that was a full wholesale business. So when you think about the days of like 2004, 2000, um, that beginning, there really was not direct-to-consumer was just starting. I remember we were sort of starting out around the same time as Bonobos and actually shared a PR um, company with them. And but we were we were more comfortable with wholesale. So my first dive into design was lingerie. It was all wholesale driven. We were in about 500 boutiques, including Henry Bindles, um, Neiman Marcus. And then we continued that. We evolved it into shapewear and things were really looking good. And then in 2008, giant financial crisis, lots of stores closing or stores continuing to order, but maybe not paying 
for the orders. And young 20-somethings, you know, um, self-funded the money got tight. So we looked into different avenues to either sell the brand or um, we had opportunities on QVC, some really neat things. But just as the economy got worse and worse, things um, just sort of went onto a pause. And my two amazing partners both got pregnant with their first. And we just decided with everything going on, maybe it was best to take a little break. And simultaneously, I actually met Brett that summer. And he, I met him and two weeks later he said to me, well, I have an opportunity to move to Beijing. So, um, I said, well, I don't know about going to Beijing. <laughs> it took him about six months of convincing me. And then eventually once we really decided let's put passport panties, that was the name of the lingerie brand, by the way, on a pause, I moved, um, to Beijing to be with him. And there worked as a stylist. So we actually lived in Beijing for right about four years, 2009, just to give you the timeline to 2012. And I worked as a stylist on different photo shoots there, which really gave me such a skill set that I'm put to such good use with Buru. So Passport Panties taught me so much about design, production, and sales. And then being in Beijing, I learned so much about putting looks together and for different body types and um, different events. So that plays out for sure with Buru. We got married over there and pregnant after that. And then I was about eight months pregnant or seven and a half months pregnant. Brett came home and said, well, the business sold <laughs> and I think we need to move back to the United States. So he had to stay and Brett comes from finance. My husband and I are full business partners in Buru now, um, but Brett comes from finance. So he had to stay and like get the deal to close. So my, we flew my mom over. She flew back with me at eight months pregnant and Brett came home two weeks later and Olive was born a week later. So it was a really insane time, um, especially to be, your first child, mm -hmm. honestly, maybe it was better because I didn't know any better. So, um, things had it been my second might've been a lot scarier, you know, once you know the process, but since I was just going in blind right. <laughs> first time mom, all those things were just my experience. And there was some relief that she would be born in the U S you know, surrounded by family. Mm -hmm. We were mentally prepared for her to be born in Beijing. So she is our made in China baby. <laughs> Love that. And we came home. We'd sold our place in New York at that point. So we moved back to Kentucky, my small little town, and had Olive. And then really Olive was sort of the, not sort of, she was the full inspiration behind the concept of Buru. And I always try to say this early on in interviews. I mean, what Buru started as and what Buru has become, there are, of course, very core principles that our customer has been the same, our ideals and what we're trying to create has been the same, but how we do it is a 180 from the beginning. And I want to share that just for anyone listening who's starting a business that, you know, some people come out of the gate and they have, you know, this is our path. I think for us, we came out of the gate with, we want to help moms feel like themselves again. Mm -hmm. And what I learned after becoming a first-time mom was 
that nothing in my wardrobe was right anymore <laughs> for the most part. And I was also coming from a time of sort of being, when I call single, I don't mean not being married, but I mean single, meaning you are you don't have children. We lived in this metropolitan area. And so our evenings were fancy fun dinners and cocktails after work and what I was wearing then versus what I needed to wear, you know, with a six week old needing to nurse and she's spitting up and I, my body's totally different. So that sort of was all born from becoming a mother. And then Buru has really evolved from there. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, I know Buru started as a marketplace and now kind of evolved into a brand. And like you mentioned, that evolution has come as a result of your evolution into a mother. So tell us about Buru, um, how you came up with the idea for it, which you touched on a little bit already. And what specifically about creating clothing for moms was attractive to you? So we took Olive out for like her first lunch at two weeks, however long you're supposed to wait. I always joke and say the other two were probably out on the town. <laughs> you know, we probably left the hospital and went to a restaurant. But Olive, we did all the by the book things. And we took her to a lunch. I wore a simple shift dress. She started screaming and I realized, oh, wait, I can't nurse in this. And deeper than that, realized no one had even mentioned to me that I would need nursing clothes. I'd been home for the two weeks and still in, you know, you're just in your pajamas. You're a lot of those. I wear traditional pajamas a lot. So they were buttoned down. It didn't even cross my mind in those first two weeks until I was out in public again, that to feed your baby required a totally different top or dress, you know, access. And so really when I started talking with Brett about it, it, I said, you know, there's no one talking about this. And if they are, you have to go back into maternity stores, which for me was like, eh, I did. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Let's move beyond. Let's move beyond that. And, uh, and I also felt like if it was a true nursing top, it was all about this like clippy thing. And it seemed very functional, which was good, but I thought the fashion was missing. So I started curating in my own closet, the pieces that worked and said to him, I think we could curate collections from brands people love and add on making sure it's washable, elastic waist if we can, sort of easier silhouettes to ease you back into um, feeling like yourself again. And we decided just after having the stress of, and this is where the 180 comes in, having done production and we did, we made everything for Passport Panties in Thailand, Having sort of jumped through all those hoops to do that, I felt like maybe the path here, since we're going to be learning direct to consumer and a website, is to buy things already created. Mm -hmm. And that's why we were a marketplace to start versus me designing. Also, designing full collections felt very overwhelming. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's one thing to design some panties and camisoles, a full collection for this phase of life felt like a big undertaking to start. So we sort of eased into it. And I love telling this story because we went to Coterie, which is a huge market in New York where you can buy brands wholesale. We went up there, we created a business card and we chose the name Buru because it means to breastfeed in Mandarin, uh, but it's just an undercurrent. You don't have to nurse or have ever nursed wear Buru. But I did sort of like that there was just an undercurrent of that. My time in Beijing, being pregnant for the first time there, and then also that I'd studied the language for almost four years. Mm -hmm. And that it's not an English word. 
So it was easier in terms of branding ourselves as something different. So we went with Buru and we thought, okay, well, of course we want to buy. So people will sell to us. And the, the, that was completely untrue. No one would sell to us. They kept asking us, well, what other brands do you carry? And we would say, well, we're just getting started. <laughs> you know, so we don't carry any brands yet. And we just walked deeper and deeper into the back of the Javits Center. And we thought, you know, the further you get back, sometimes you're smaller, newer brands. And we thought maybe we could get a yes back there and just randomly ran into Rebecca Minkoff, who we had worked with at Passport Panties when she launched her morning after bag, ran into her. She asked me what I was up to now. I shared with her. She had a new baby about the same age that she was nursing. So she takes us immediately to the Rebecca Minkoff booth, which was all the way in the front and basically like Fort Knox to get in. They have like a rope where you have to have an appointment. And she walked us in there, helped us write an order. And then after that, we would just say, well, we carry Rebecca Minkoff. And so people started saying yes. And we built our brand matrix of about 20 brands to start. And then that grew over time. And then at some point... Brett shared with me that our gross profit margin was really bad <laughs> and not sustainable. And that even though we had customers and we'd created this sort of community for new moms and beyond, the business plan of it and the actual numbers weren't working. And for anyone out there starting a business, you know, that's such a scary thing to hear and sometimes confusing because you think, well, gosh, we can sell. Like we have an audience. So how... Is this not working? And it just really comes down to margins and things going on sale all the time and price comparison on the internet. So he said, I, I think it's time. You know what you want. Why don't you design a 12-piece capsule and let's see how it goes. So at this point, I am pregnant with our second baby. We've left Kentucky and moved to Salt Lake City for a job opportunity for him. So he's not fully in Buru at this time. And so I, I go into the process, you know, having been in China for four years, we had contacts there. It was not easy, but easier. You know, I think one thing that's so fascinating, I'm 42 and I feel like the one thing that's so consistent about my life is sort of like you collect these skill sets. Mm -hmm. Fun to reflect back and say like, oh, well, that's why that happened. Or that's why I met this person and how wonderful that is. Uh, to be able to see the puzzle pieces start to fit together. So I'm not making it sound like it's super easy to go and design 12 pieces. Obviously, it, 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 there's a lot involved, but we did it and it was a struggle and I was pregnant and tired and probably grumpy and we launched it and it sold and we had really worked so hard on the price points to make it where we, what we felt like was a white space. So sort of that in between fast fashion and high end contemporary. Mm -hmm. And then we knew we had proof of concept, but the problem with fashion is it's not very fast. I mean, Zara makes it seem like you can snap your fingers and make things. That's not been our experience. <laughs> so once we had that, okay, well we can design or I can design and we can sell this, then there was quite a bit of lead time to really build that up because anyone who's in fashion or, or makes anything, you know that you have to be designing the next thing while the samples come in from the first mm -hmm. thing for it to have more when that sells. So it was a longer road even than we anticipated to shift from marketplace to Buru. So 
Schaefer was born at the end of 2016, which we launched the actual Buru label. I mean, I think I was eight months pregnant when it actually launched. When I look back at those pictures and you can see I'm like standing, <laughs> standing concave. So maybe you can't tell just how pregnant I am in some of the clothes. <laughs> people to think they were maternity. But from the end of 2016, it took us all the way to January of 2019 to be exclusively my designs and all Buru. So just, again, it's, it's not just a straight shot. It certainly hasn't been for us, but now we can see such a clearer path for Buru and our brand. And even though we have our same wonderful customers and that customer base has grown, obviously, we are still servicing moms who are ready to feel like themselves again and want a little help and want happy, fun, easy clothes. That's such an amazing story. I'm sitting here listening and nodding to everything you say because I think it's all so relatable from struggling to find clothes to nurse in, which I think is a universal problem, especially after pregnancy when all you want to do is feel like you are not an incubator again. And you're faced all of a sudden with the world of nursing clothing, which is not a massive improvement on maternity clothing, I have to say. And then you talked about collecting skill sets, which is so important, I think, in life and as moms, you know, all the seasons of life that we go through, we collect a different skill set. And some of them, even in motherhood, I think we collect professional skills that help us later in life. And then also talking about the price points and how you wanted things that were accessible, but not designer. So it's, I mean, the whole story is just amazing and I think so relatable and there's just so much to unpack and and talk about here, but um I love that. So, so thank you for sharing. You talked a lot about your, your whole career path and all the, I guess, entrepreneurial issues or challenges that you encountered as you were founding Buru. Were there any challenges specifically as they related to motherhood and having young children and being pregnant and having maternity leave, which I know is not really a thing when you're self-employed, but what did that look like for you as you were growing your business and having children at the same time? Well, maternity leave, um, while it's something that, of course, we would offer our employees and we feel is very <laughs> it was not necessarily anything I got. Um, I remember I had my laptop on my nine-month pregnant belly while I was all strapped up to the cords being induced for Schaefer. So <laughs> probably not a good work-life balance, just throwing that out there, but it was our reality. And I mean, I've always been a worker bee. Um, I've always been a hustler and we're self-funded with Buru, which does have a um, its, its own set of sort of pressures on you. And now Brett is fully back in the business and has been since the beginning of 2017. And so there's no salary to fall back on. It, this is, you know, make it or break it. And mm-hmm. so I think that that drives a lack of maternity or drove a lack of maternity leave for me because for me, there's a, an importance to be present for your newborn, but you also have the pressures of we have to make sure that we're paying all the bills for our, all the children, you know, Mm -hmm. one thing that I think was just, um, a blessing from God and in, in the weirdest way. And I, I have to find silver linings in COVID and the pandemic, even though I know it was so hard for so many people and I never make light of it. And my silver 
planning. There've been of which there've been several, but one of them was uh, Carlisle was born on January 9th. So when he was eight weeks old, the world shut down. And even though we were still working, what it eliminated for me was travel, which is such a big part of when you have a direct-to-consumer business that's all online. We travel a lot to be face-to-face with our customers and have events and um, more grassroots efforts. So when that sort of forced me to be home and slow down a little bit, which was a huge blessing for me because I I think it's really hard. I think it's really hard to stop and smell your babies, (laughs) you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. and I think there are so many pressures on us as moms to really do it all. My mom and I have this conversation a lot. She was a stay at home mom, so wonderful and incredible and very present in my classrooms as volunteers on field trips, as doing fundraisers for the school. And I am not those things. And I have had to come to terms with that's just not my reality. I need, I will figure out ways to be more present for my children in other ways. But I think for me, it's the balance is realizing I cannot do it all and that that's okay and that you have to talk with your partner. I was, I'm married to a man who was raised by a, a mother who worked out of the home. I hate working mother as an expression because we all work. Agreed. But she worked out of the home as well. And those boys saw their father do all these things. You know, if it didn't matter who it was, if someone had to mow the lawn or wash the dishes, that could be male or female. There were no gender roles the way he grew up, which I think is so amazing for our children to see. And I think that we as women and mothers will never be able to balance life without finding a partner who can help us and who understands that our roles are not just the domestic roles and their roles are not just the financial roles. And that sounds insane to say in 2022, but I think that we still have so many of those stereotypes that we're learning and we're growing. And as a, as a nation, I think evolving into, you know, melting those roles, which is wonderful. I think we've made some progress, but I just want moms to give themselves a little bit of grace. And also you do not have to make a lunchbox that looks like a perfect bento box. <laughs> like if that's your thing and you want to, I think that is so great. But I do think social media sometimes just makes everything look so perfect mm-hmm. and it's not, and that's okay, you know, but there has to be a little bit more grace with, you know, the ex- expectation to achieve balance means probably cutting some things out. Well, and it's so true that we're both moving on from a place, I mean, hopefully as a society, we're moving on from a place where labor is split by gender. I know it's still a lot of women still take on the majority of the household tasks and the child raising. And I think that I don't know if that's ever going to change, particularly as it relates to raising children. But it's it's true that I think social media has also opened up this world where even 10, 20 years ago, people didn't see certain aspects of your life and they couldn't judge what the inside of your house looked like because if you didn't invite them over, they didn't know. So if maybe you dressed beautifully and you know you were always on time and you were the, the perfect soccer team mom with the orange slices, they didn't know that all the orange peels are still littering your counter and needed to be cleaned up when you got home. But social media has taken down that wall and it's um, 
it's not always beneficial for our mental health. I 100% agree. And when I think about it, we have all of these things we can be good at. And I think as humans, not just women and mothers, we have certain things that come more naturally to us. Mm-hmm. I look in a, someone's closet and put together outfits in five seconds. That's just something that I've I've worked hard and trained myself and had some probably just innate ability to do it. But I could open my refrigerator fully <laughs> stocked, stare at it for an hour and not be able to make a meal. And I, I think that's okay. I mean, it's, you know... Praise the Lord for Uber Eats and amazing <laughs> like pre-made meals that are healthy that you can prepare for your family. But I think what you just said is so true and so accurate in that two generations ago, they could present their strongest talent to the world and the other would be behind sort of an iron curtain. And now everything is out there and it's the perfect Christmas treat. Like I mentioned, the perfect school lunch, the perfect vacations. And I I really think picking a lane is the only way we're going to be able to survive without just crumbling. And I think it's going to take some people speaking up to maybe not share what their lane is, but share what their lane isn't. Because still, if you're just talking about your lane and that you're great in that, that the orange slices on the counter are being (laughs) lost in the shuffle. So I think it's important for, I mean, I'm always telling people I don't cook and that that sort of permission to not be perfect in every way. But I also think you can talk with your kids about it once they're old enough. I mean, my 10 year old knows what mommy is not good at. (laughs) <laughs> but that's and that's it's so true that the, your kids need to see that side of you. Your kids need to see that you can't be perfect at everything, especially in today's world, and especially daughters, who you know I think perfectionism for women is just on a different level than it is for men. And so it's it's important to have those conversations and say, look, mommy can be anything, but she can't be everything, and she is not a chef. <laughs> right, very much not. Yeah, I think the word balance. And women is associated, but you don't often hear a man ask how he is balancing things. Mm-hmm. So perhaps we can either start asking them that question um, or just start helping r- women realize that at least for the next while, while we sort through and evolve into a more equal playing field, it's sort of unattainable in a way. Or maybe you can have a balanced week and then the next week is completely not. And that's okay too. <laughs> Yeah, that it's it's balance is a a nice ideal to have, but it doesn't happen naturally for most of us. And I do love I I know you've recently wrote for In Kind magazine a really great piece about picking your perfect, which is such an apt way to describe motherhood and everything that we just kind of talked about, which you know, you have to pick what you're going to be good at and what you want to focus your time on and kind of let go of the rest of the noise. So it's it is a really great outlook to have as you raise children and also try to do all the other things that are important to you. And you know, um, I think in that article, I do mention this, that you can sense another mother's perfect, you know, if you do Mm -hmm. have a community women around you. And I think it's okay to lean into that rather than compete with each other. Let her throw the best birthday party versus feeling like, oh, I'm not, I don't have that type of career or I just ordered frozen pizza for their birthday, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. really leaning into those strengths of other women is perhaps something 
that doesn't come natural to all of us because I think we're so hard on ourselves. It's not even about tearing someone else down. It's about the fact that we feel torn down sometimes by seeing those comparisons. That comparison is all joy is I think one of the most true overly used expressions. But I think if I, in my mind, try to switch that narrative to, well, that is amazing that she can do that. And maybe I'll hire her for our kid's birthday, (laughs) or (laughs) I will just champion her for what she can do. And it's okay if I cannot. (laughs) Yeah. And that competition, like we talked about with social media, I think is, is born of a lot from social media. Not that we can't be competitive without it, but, um, Certainly, it adds another layer to know so many details about people's lives, and there's just so much more to compare where it used to be. Like we said, the image that people wanted to portray and their their strengths, and now it's just everything's a part of the contest. So I I completely get it. I hear you. I, I love everything that you just said. It's been great. Speaking of hiring people to do things like birthday parties, what does your support system look like? Because I assume... With you and your husband both running Buru and having three children, things can get a little chaotic as they do for all of us. So what does your support system look like um, and how does it help you manage your day-to-day life? Absolutely. Well, first, I have to give a like massive round of applause to our Buru team because without them, you know, we have an amazing warehouse team here. Our we, have, we own a factory here now, so the production team is incredible. And then we have sort of this mini fleet of Buru buses. There are four of them that travel the country doing pop-ups. That team is incredible. And then just tons of PR, graphic design. My own assistant is amazing. So that really helps the Buru train keep chugging along. In terms of our day-to-day life with kids, all three kids are in school, two of them in you know real school, I'm putting that in quotes. TK up. And then baby Carlisle, who's really not a baby anymore, but will likely always be called that as our baby of our family. He is in preschool and it's a real preschool. So I joke a lot about Mother's Morning Out, um, but those programs that are two and three hours, I that is not something that would work for us working full time. So he's in a full, you know, it's like actual school from eight to three, and then there's aftercare until four to five when we get him. So those things make our day possible. Up until that point, it's really hard. We've had little stints of nannies. Um, COVID, we, our nanny had just moved out of the country right before COVID happened. So we had a really rough 18 months with no childcare and the kids home like everyone else. And then the other huge part for us is my mother. So she travels with us or is with us like 10 to 15 days a month. Usually we do longer stints of travel, especially when we travel in the summer, doing pop-ups all summer long with the kids. And if not, she's out here and we have like a little mother-in-law suite for her. And so we couldn't do it without my mom just in terms of giving us those bigger breaks we need, or if Brett and I need to travel for work and we can't take the kids. And that's sort of my, my network. It's pretty lean. We have housekeepers. I think that's um, a fair thing to say. And the kids, we feel lucky that we live in a place where a lot of their activities come to us. So their piano lessons come to us. Our hairstylists come to our home Things like that that just prevent you from having to be in your car for a long time. And Mm -hmm. I mean, errand running, I think every mother can relate. It's just an overwhelming 
part of our lives to start. I get everything delivered. Groceries, CVS. We do not go to stores hardly at all. Um, so my support system is, I guess, a little bit technology-based as well. <laughs> so what do you think the biggest challenge of motherhood is? I think being present is really hard. And that makes me almost cry to say out loud because I know the second these kiddos are out of these stages of really needing us, I'm going to be devastated. You know, the times when you're feeling tired and they want to be carried and your arm's about to fall off, when that's gone, when this last baby, I know I'm going to be devastated at the same time. So in the rush of day-to-day life, I think it is very hard to stop and realize what a blessing even the exhausting parts are. That's a very hard part for me. And I think being in a creative space with Buru, that never turns off. Um, And I've really had to learn how can I shift that? You know, we've been so go, go, go to get it to this point. And it will never be an idol. That's just not the way a fashion brand works. It's not like I designed one thing and we get to sell that for eternity. But I love what we do. But it is a never-ending, you know, when one season ends or one drop launches, the next one is just right on its heels. So for me, my brain is always going. So it's hard for me to stop and sit there and play a game of sorry. And so that's my New Year's resolution is to, I don't care if it's even 10 minutes, I have to start small in a lot of ways, that every day there will be 10 minutes per child. It may have actually been my New Year's resolution last year, if I'm being honest, but you know, sometimes things just don't stick the first time. And 2022 was a big year of go for us. And I'm, I'm really hoping in 2023, that big challenge for me that hangs over my head is, is to stop and read a book, play a game, listen, tell a joke, whatever it is, something really small to be in that moment where I'm not distracted by anything else going on. The phone is off. The TVs are off. And this is going to sound insane because I obviously love being in conversation with Brett, but because we work together, we have to figure out how to turn it off too. So it's the challenge is for us to align and both be present at the same time. And that's a goal for 2023. It's a good goal. In today's world, it's just hard to be present. There's so many things pulling at your attention every single minute of every day. I mean, you, you're never bored, which is a luxury in some regards, but it's also, also means that you don't have the time to sit and just look your kid in the eye as much. You know, there's always something you can be doing, always a way to multitask, always a way to be more efficient. And parenting is not about efficiency. <laughs> Uh It's about the little moments, which is really hard when you're used to being an efficient person and wanting to accomplish everything. Absolutely. That's a great – maybe I just need to like plaster parenting is not about efficiency. (laughs) Because I think if I had that reminder – because your work is, you know, like we're always saying with Buru work smarter, not harder. And that is, to me, kind of a short definition of efficiency. And it's very hard to remind yourself that with parenting because I think, well, if they're going to tell me this story, I might as well be washing the dishes. But to them, I'm not hearing them. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I might, I mean, that like, oh, funny, funny. And then they ask me a question about it later and I can't answer. And I'm thinking, well, I'm trying to teach them reading comprehension, but clearly I'm incapable myself of listening and repeating back. So I, I, I know it's something that I need to slow down and work on. And I think that that probably rings true for a lot of moms. Definitely. Speaking of presence, 
what do you like to do when you are not working on Buru or taking care of day-to-day parenting tasks? So that can be either by yourself or with your family or with your friends. What do you do for you? Well, that's a really great question. Honestly, we're not in a phase of life right now where there's a lot of (laughs) morning time, which is okay. I'm so grateful for all of it. We were just in New York last week and I got a facial and the amount of guilt I felt just leaving for that hour and a half. And even my mom and Brett were like, you work so hard. This is fine. Like no one is making me feel that guilt except Mm -hmm. myself. So I think the guilt that hangs over me is hard. One thing that I do for me, but still involves all of us is travel. Travel is my favorite thing in the world. We often incorporate Buru into it so that we can be efficient uh, or that it makes sense financially. You know, we shoot lookbooks in a lot of locations where we travel as a family, but it is a way for me to feel alive, refreshed, inspired. I love showing our kids the world. That is what I call a trip, not a vacation. A vacation is typically without your kids because <laughs> when you're when they're with you, it's so fun and rewarding in a lot of ways, but also exhausting. Yeah. And of course, a two-year-old doesn't really cooperate like you need them to, but travel is is really what I do for myself. And planning the trips is probably just as enjoyable to me. And so if I'm home at night and it's late and I can't sleep, I'm flagging things and tagging places I want to go because that encourages me and sort of keeps me going in terms of, okay, well, we'll get through this busy season. And then we know we leave on this date for this adventure. Even if we have to work some while we're there, it's a positive experience for me and something that motivates me too and makes me feel like I'm not just working all the time. Travel is very grounding in a weird way because it removes you from all the stressors of everyday life and puts you in a situation where you don't have to worry about the laundry and you don't usually have to worry about cleaning and the errands and the dog and all of those things. So it really kind of boils things down to what's actually important. Um, even if, like you said, <laughs> they're trips, not vacations. <laughs> You're not just right. lounging with you know your cocktail all day. But um I agree that there there's something really energizing about it for that reason because it kind of brings you back to what's important, which is usually the people that you're traveling with and the experiences that you're having. So I love that. Switching lanes a little bit, personal style is obviously really important to you, obviously as you own a fashion company, but also I've seen a lot of photos of you and you just have such a fun sense of style. How has your style evolved since having children and how do you maintain a sense of style in motherhood when it's often really easy to just throw on black leggings and a black turtleneck like I myself am wearing today? (laughs) Well, One thing is I don't actually own a single piece of athleisure. Wow. Which I know is weird. I fully admit that's weird. (laughs) And it also just shows how I don't work out. (laughs) Maybe something else I gave up in that list of being perfect. But so that actually helps me to avoid sort of that pitfall. I've never been inside a Lululemon. But my style, what's funny about it is that it's actually not changed that much. I don't wear things quite as tight as I did in my 20s. Like the, I saw that the Hervé Leger bandage dress is on its way back. It will probably not be on its way back to my closet. Uh, it lived there for a long time <laughs> in New York. I didn't hear they were back, but I will not be partaking in that trend this time around again either. So <laughs> that two of us. But if I reflect back on my style, it's maybe a little looser, maybe a little longer, and maybe the heels aren't as high. 
But other than that, there's a lot of similarity. I've always loved vintage-inspired silhouettes. I've worn vintage for a huge part of my life and have I've really built a huge collection of vintage, which is amazing to have as an archive to sort of help guide Buru and look at different seams and the way sleeves are sewn. And so it's evolved as I've gotten older. You know, I would like to think it's a little more sophisticated, but maybe it's actually not. It's There's still a lot of color. I'd like to mix patterns and unusual silhouettes. I realize that my style may not be for all of our customers. So when I, I do a try on, if you're new to Buru and start following us on Instagram, you'll see we have a different new set of new arrivals every Saturday. And I film a try on sort of introducing all of those styles or pieces and style them in different ways. So one way my style has probably evolved is in thinking of others and how this would be comfortable if you're taller than me, if you're more petite than me, if you have a great rack or some junk in the trunk, things of which have become flatter on me since having children. I, I really do try to think about that and do it in a way that still feels fun to me in a way I would wear it, but somewhat toned down. I still always have a loud one or two in each week just because that encourages me and I enjoy it. But there are pieces in Buru's line that, I mean, I, silhouettes I wore in high school. And it's funny to think about, you know, that sort of, there's there's definitely a part of me that hasn't changed. And I love that. You know, I think that in a way, the best thing that we can do to avoid not getting dressed is to sort of find a uniform. And so we do a lot of sets that are elevated in some way in their silhouette or in their material because our moms are so comfortable with that. That is a no brainer. It's, you know, if it's not a dress, a set is a grab it and mm-hmm. go. We do a lot of fun blouses that can easily style with a dressy skirt or your jeans to get you out the door and look put together and a lot of statement coats because you can literally throw that over your leggings and a black turtleneck and look like a million dollars. So I, in order to avoid that pitfall, short of not actually owning athleisure, which I don't think is a realistic plan or even a good one, is making sure you have a lot of grab and go pieces and finding the silhouette that you actually do grab. It may be different than your best friend. Find what that is for you. And it's okay if you wear the same thing in a different color every day. What people really notice is when you feel good about yourself, they're not going to say like, oh my gosh, she wore that dress yesterday in a different color. Because the truth is they're probably so focused on themselves anyway, they would never remember that. But you found something that you can gravitate towards in a quick way to get out the door and feel like yourself. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any favorite places to shop for kids that are not Buru? What are your favorite places to shop for kids? So Olive is now 10, and I would say that we're getting to the point where about 70% of her wardrobe is from a brand called Bisbee, and they are um, sort of an offshoot, same big company as Little English, but their entire focus is sort of that tween girl, like where do you go after eight Mm -hmm. Um, or they're in adult clothes. So it's fun and colorful and a big size range. So Bisbee has been a go-to for us for Olive. And then what's nice about it is because it's an arm of Little English and our boys are still in Little English, we can often find things that do coordinate because I really do sort of dress them matching all the time. So that's a go-to for us. And then, I mean, I love supporting 
small brands. If I fill in with a big one, it's usually Janie and Jack because they give boys equal love, which you can't, you can't always do. And then to be honest, like we're, we're really like crossing into a territory of, of a challenge with Olive. You know, she is 10, but already wearing a 12. So, which is part of the reason we did the collection for her 10th birthday was to sort of experiment with um, styles for her age. You know, we'd always done little things like Peter Pan collars and little reversible shorts for boys mm-hmm. and collabs with me. And we've received so much positive feedback from moms of daughters in this age group. So I think it's really, I'm so thrilled Bisbee exists and that's the, their main focus because it is, a, it is a challenge. But Little English and, and Bisbee are go-tos, always have been. And then for swim, they literally do not wear any other brand except for Minnow. Minnow's great. Love their stuff. I have to stop myself because last year I bought a bunch of things in the winter on Black Friday that ended up never fitting my son. So I said, this year, doesn't matter how good the sale prices are, just buy them full price and then you're not wasting money as opposed to last year. It's hard. It's so hard with kids. I mean, it kids have to be a real buy now, wear now. There's yeah. very little you can buy in advance. Agreed. Do you have any favorite mom accounts, not necessarily motherhood or parenting accounts, but other mothers to either follow or whose businesses to support? Oh my gosh, this list could go on and on. So yes. So some just amazing people who are moms and of course talk about motherhood, but also just have brands. So Molly Feening, who owns Red Clay Hot Sauce, is such a huge supporter of other female entrepreneurs and does such a great job. Of course, she has an incredible business of delicious hot sauces and salts and honeys, but she also on her private account, she champions other women and really shows just what her real life looks like, which Mm -hmm. I think is so beautiful. Same goes for Mignon Gavigan, who is a mom and has a beautiful jewelry line and it's constantly traveling and juggling that world. And I mean, and Minnow, you know, uh, Morgan is a great friend and has just grown that business in such a beautiful way. And her children, you know, were in the beginning lookbooks. I think they're still in some of the marketing. And I think that they're such a neat sort of family who, you know, is her family has been in tow with her a lot as well. So I think one thing that I tend to follow, and of course there are beautiful accounts where the focus is sort of on the lunches you're making and parenting skills and tactics. My life, I find it just because of the lane I'm in, I relate more to sort of entrepreneurs who are also moms. Because again, if I compare myself to someone doing something completely opposite of me, you know, if they are a health or nutrition expert, if I start to focus on that too much, then I start to feel bad about myself. So it's really, I think that's probably why I mentioned those three women is because I'm one, so proud of them, but also relating to their struggles and trials and how they're how they're winning at all of it. <laughs> yeah, they are all definitely great accounts. I've I follow all three, so agree on on all on all fronts. So, last question: Where can listeners find you to find out more about Vuru, either to purchase or just to to follow and and learn more about what you're about? Absolutely. So, our Instagram is shop Vuru, and that's where you'll see you know new launches, new arrivals. Um, our try-ons every Saturday. We also have an Instagram account that's at the Buru Bus. That is a great um, account to follow so you can see where we're popping up in real life. As I mentioned, we have four of those. They're Mercedes Sprinters that are upfitted 
like mobile stores and they pop up in private homes, in stores, just all over the country. So that's a great account to follow. And then of course our website is shopburu.com. We also have a TikTok account. Um, I find that that's our younger audience. It's a, it's shop guru too, but most of our Instagram followers really panicked and thought when they thought we were moving all the content to TikTok. So I learned there's definitely two different, like, two different groups of people. You're either TikTok or Instagram, maybe a little bit of both. Well, I will add all of those to the show notes. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This is such a great conversation. I feel like the middle of it, especially talking about motherhood and perfection and social media was just such a great takeaway. And and there was so many good nuggets in there. So I I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you so much. I'm thrilled and, and happy to get to talk about mom life and all the things. You can check out Buru online at shopburu.com. That's B-U-R-U. Or on Instagram at shopburu. The TikTok username is also at shopburu. Links to the site and accounts can of course be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star rating or review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I really appreciate your support in doing so, as along with listening, it really is the best way to support Motherhood Design. You can also follow along with the podcast at Motherhood Design on Instagram or MotherhoodDesign.com for more info about guests, including their mentions and recommendations from each episode. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And